Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, October 15th, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary, and I am a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And my name is Lisa Bernhard, a 17-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. All right, it's not okay. Not okay. That's 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40 sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion. At a time. Tonight's show, Breast Cancer in the LGBT Community. Joining us, Philip Deitch. He is a member of the LGBT National Advisory Council at Susan G. Komen for the Cure. Liz Margulies, Executive Director of the National LGBT Cancer Network. And kicking it off in the Survivor Spotlight, singer, songwriter, yoga instructor, young adult breast cancer survivor, Mimi Ferraro. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer online at stupidcancer.org. The largest support community for the young adult cancer movement. So, welcome aboard. Another fun and exciting rock of the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure, and survivorship is all that matters. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes. Download us for free. It's automatic. As we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. And look at that. Yeah, yeah. Our self-ingratiating applause. Yes, it is. Hello, Mimi. Hello, Liz. Hi. Hi. It's great to have in-studio guests. It is. And we guys you see them in the eyeballs. Mr. <laughs> Kenny, you look exhausted. Como esta? Kenny was in Atlantic City this weekend partying oh, at the Borgata. Uh, uh, Borgata is one of the places that oh. we were at. Wow. Did you go to the Claridge? Is that still there? Which one? The Claridge. Uh, I'm too young for this. That's no. where the geriatrics go to to play penny slots. No, I usually go. I'll, I'll walk through the showboat, but that's about as geriatric as I get. Oh, okay. Only because okay. like the uh, the Hard Rock Cafe and right uh, a couple of other places. Yeah, the Clarence is where like looks like the Florida of Atlantic City. I'll put it that way. Okay. Were you shorn <laughs> down there? Your hair's a lot shorn. He was shorn. Yes. I, I got beard. a cut actually today. I, I went down there kind of haggard. I. I came back, and the first thing I did was uh, get a little trim. Um, You're headed on a big trip. 
I am headed on a big. We got a lot of trips coming up, which is part of the reason why I'm losing my mind right now. Right. Uh, headed out on Wednesday to go to London uh, for an event on Saturday at a new place at the Royal Docklands in the United Kingdom called uh, the Crystal. Ooh. It's an, like an urban development, urban sustainability. I don't know, it's it's tight. Yeah, exactly. But you're going you're going to a uh, breast cancer event. It is. It's called Turn Your Turn Your City Pink. Uh, it's put on by the company Siemens, and not the furniture store. Right. No, no. S i e m e n s. Yes. They're all over the world. Yes. Unlike uh, Siemens, the furniture store. Correct. So I'm I'm super excited to go to London for the first time ever. And uh, I just got back from where the hell was I? San Diego. I went to the Scripps Nursing Conference. Like 400 nurses came to UCSD. Not I, I messed that up. Scripps is different from UCSD. I apologize, Scripps. Uh, Scripps Hospital, and it was a two-day nursing conference. I gave two consecutive one-hour keynote uh, presentations, which I'd never done before, which is quite interesting. Did you play the piano? No, no piano this time. Oh. No weren't weren't this time. you going from like the airport right to speaking? Yes, I landed at at 11:45 and I spoke at 12:30. Okay. How'd that work out for you? I got there at twelve twenty-five. Jeez! Wow! Yes. Right so, up at the podium. Literally, I literally got, got out of the cab, plugged my laptop in, and started talking. It was amazing, interesting, scary, but done. You, every trip that you plan now is seemingly getting smaller and <laughs> smaller. In I'm time. trying to spend as little time as possible, and also I changed my flight. I left at like six thirty the next morning, so. That was it. And you slept in the office probably, right? Um, yeah, that's what I, it's a trade-off. Either you're going to sleep in another city or you're going to be exhausted exactly. next week. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be, yeah. So, and then uh, on Wednesday, I'm going to Austin to attend the REV conference, which is this health okay. innovation leadership technology something that's sponsored by Genentech and Livestrong. Oh, wow. So I, I was invited. It's an invitation only. I was invited to a, who could say no to a two-day trip to Austin. My trip to London was an invitation. Yes, it was. Kenny's going, all expenses paid. I am. And you're not staying at a hostel. No. <laughs> Possibly one night, just for, the, just for, for the, the sake of it. Just to be there. People are opening their arms to the two of you. No, it's pretty cool. That's... It's pretty cool. And um, and uh, this Friday is uh, the FICA conference in Chicago. We will be well represented at the FICA conference. But you're, are you going from off? No, no, no. Okay. No, no. We have people going on our behalf. It's good. It's going to be a good show. You have people. We have people. Yep. It's good to say that, though. It's been almost six years. We yeah, should have people no, by now. Of course. Of course. Kenny's people, not, but Kenny has people now too. I have more I think I have people that like me better than your people. Yeah, my people hate me. They're sick of you. My people are leaving me. Lisa. I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't come back to that. Sorry. Yes, anyway. good night. Yeah. <laughs> should I just should I just queue up the <laughs> We're gonna what <laughs> finds this funny but us? You're good. Oh, God. No one who listens knows okay. Benny Hill except me and Lisa. Okay. <laughs> Benny nice. Hill. Yeah. That's where it's from, Benny Hill. It's Benny Hill from the 70s. You guys not know, Be- you know a, Benny Hill. Well, she's Naked over women 30. running around <laughs> and Benny Hill chasing How after did them. I miss <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Benny Hill's for the over 35 crowd. <laughs> oh, my God, well, Benny Hill. That includes me, but I guess. <laughs> All right. But you don't look over I 35, so that counts. Okay. I know. There you know. Thanks. Oh, gosh. Uh, anyway, so, um, well, we're early, so let's just get to... Uh, Get to our first guest. That's the first. Because tonight's show is cool. <laughs> the first. We're early. No, we dedicated the last three, last two Mondays and tonight to 
disparity issues in women with breast cancer. Yes. These shows have been sponsored by Susan G. Komen, which we're very thankful Multicultural for. Multicultural Council. The Multicultural Council. And specifically? Yes. And They're an independent group from Susan G. Komen. Yes. Yet they are not directly connected, but they advise Komen. Right. And they're comprised of a bunch of people from specific ethnic disparities. Multicultural who represent people. These, yes, multicultural people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Duplo set, but every color. Okay. Just yes. like that. Exactly uh-huh. the same thing. So we did a show uh, two weeks ago on uh, African-American and Latino-American mm-hmm. women. We did the show last week on Native American and Asian-American women. Right. And tonight we're doing a show on LGBT women mm-hmm. of all ages, like the, like the circus. For all ages. Okay. Children of all ages. Right. Cause you can, I think yeah, so. Never mind. Something All right. Like anyway. That. All right. I'm done. I'm done. Okay. Mimi Ferraro started singing, composing, and acting as a toddler. She started the national tour of Rent from 2004 to 2005. Diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 29 in 2006. She found herself at a crossroads, both personally and professionally. She's now working on a new rock musical about young adults dealing with cancer and... She teaches yoga in New York City, and she also teaches yoga specifically to women who've had breast cancer. More at her website, MimiFerraro.com. Please welcome to the show, Mimi Ferraro. Hi. Hello. Hello. You are actually a returning champion, aren't you? I am returning, and I guess I'm a champion. Why no, but you, you've been on the show like once or twice before, too, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, you guys have known each other for a long time. I met you probably four years ago? Probably more than that. Were you? Did you know us when we were Steps for a Living or I2Y? I2Y, yeah, okay. of course. Didn't Mimi do the album? Yeah, I, I had yeah. a song on, oh, that's on the right. second compilation. She's like way back. That was 2000. I, I came to your office with my CD, and I said, please put my song on your next one. Did you really? Yes. Which Was it the office with next to the elevator shaft? It was a really small office. It was the one by the elevator shaft, yeah, when we first moved to this building. I was, in right? a, I was in a discarded, abandoned elevator shaft. That was my actual office. <laughs> they should have left you there. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they had to kick me out because the gap moved in, and they had to build an elevator in the empty shaft. Wow. So wow. they said, sorry, get out of the elevator shaft. <laughs> you got to desk through the alley. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah, that is going back. That's 08. Like late oh, 07, really? late 07, 08. I don't know. My memory shit. That's okay. That's fine. What, do you have cancer or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that is a long time. Wow, so you've seen all the changes, and you've seen all the growth, and you've seen everything. Changes. You've come to the yeah. OMG summits in New York and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right, well, let's let's just get started. What were you, what, Tell us about your life prior to, what were you doing at 28 years old, living footloose, fancy-free? She was 29 when diagnosed. No, but I'm saying 28. Oh, like okay. just living. oh well, 28, before, I, yeah, you were footloose and fancy-free. Well, yeah, I was traveling around the country on a Broadway national tour, and, you know. Were you Maureen? That doesn't suck. Um, sometimes I was a swing. I, I covered five roles. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, but not Mark. Um, no, no, <laughs> I never got to that one, although, you know, there were some nights when it wasn't a, that remote a possibility. Right. <laughs> Illness, injury, wow, drama. Um, no, I was, I, I, I was, I thought well on my way to having some kind of performing career, and um, then I got back from the tour, and I, you know, I, I was kind of, um, bumming around a little bit, booking some stuff. I got a manager. I started a temp job, you know, just kind of figuring out what I was going to do. But I, I felt like I had some momentum, and then, right. boom. So how are you? Tell us again. You Was this something that you, a lump that you found? It is a lump that mm-hmm. I found, yes. Self-exam? Uh, in, just an... Informal self-exam. Informal, yeah. okay. Yeah. And immediately, so... 
recap, and you, we've said you've been on the show before, but a quick recap of like when you went to the doctor and the diagnosis. Um, I was found it quick? the lump. Was it take a while? It, it took a while. Um, I I think I found the lump in the late fall of 2005, and I thought it was a cyst. Right. So I waited a cycle, and then I had an appointment, but there was a transit strike, so my appointment got canceled. So I rescheduled for later, and I think in January I went to a doctor who said, "Oh yeah, I feel that you need to go to a surgeon." And I was like, "What? Yeah. A surgeon? Uh uh-uh. uh." Yeah. But I went, and the surgeon, um, they did a fine needle biopsy right there in the office, which right. was like still to this day one of the most painful experiences of my life. Oh, just about after, after that part. After everything I've yeah. been through, still. And they misdiagnosed me, uh, fibroadenoma. Yeah. Really? Then I switched hospitals, and um, in March of that year, I finally got an accurate diagnosis after another biopsy and mammogram and et cetera. So how did so, you go then to move on? Because they had given you a diagnosis and you didn't just um, say, okay, great, and walk away. You, well, I'm a pain in the ass, good. first of all. In this case, a Second very good of thing. All, yeah. We were told um, about a patient advocate. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, the, I did have an ultrasound, even though I'd been given the benign diagnosis and the ultrasound was suspicious. Hmm. And by this point, I had told my parents what was going on, and my mother was like, uh-uh, you're going to this other place. Right. So Good. Good for you mom, know. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what was your music going through at that time? Um, I was in a band. Right. Plus rent. Well, I wasn't in rent anymore at that okay. point. I was okay. home here. But I was in a band, and we were... Um, we had just recorded an EP, and we had just gone to Ireland on a little mini tour, and we got back mm-hmm. from Ireland, and then... Um, I got diagnosed, and so I quit the band that day. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And that was that. I should have queued up your your song from the album. I have oh, to, yeah. When we go retro, I have to go find it. <laughs> I search the Internet for it now. It's free somewhere. I know it's on the web somewhere. Anyway, what was the name of the song you wrote? Audrey. That's right. It's on iTunes. It is on iTunes. It's a great song, though. Thank you. Um, thank you. All right. So, all right. So, you hate your doctors. You're misdiagnosed. They screw you over. <laughs> Did you at least have insurance? Did they talk to you about like, fertility? I did have insurance. Um, they did not talk to me about fertility. I don't really care, but I know a lot of people do. Right. Um, yeah, I had insurance through my temp job at that point. I had basically said, if you want me to stay, you have to give me insurance. So Good. So you had that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, and it's, even if you don't care about the fertility stuff, good to have the information regardless. Um so what and and relationship wise, where were you? Single? Oh gosh, complicated. Compli- well, I had just it's a gotten, Facebook com- I had, status. <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated. I had just gotten back together with someone. Yeah. So it was not a good time. So we're going to talk about when we bring. Uh, there's so many issues, obviously, around LGBT and in terms of diagnosis. I want to talk about also when we get Liz on the show too about who just kind of rights in terms of who can be with you to make sure that partners aren't shut out and things like that. But at that time, there was no kind of issue in terms of that. I mean, did you have who, – who was kind of with you to go to the doctor and your appointments? Was it your parents? Was it your mom? Or was it a friend? Um, or? It was initially um, my girlfriend. Yeah. Then my parents and my brother. Um, and, you know, I didn't really have a lot of um, – I didn't have any dramatic problems um, with people recognizing or not recognizing my girlfriend in terms of denying her um, visiting me or, right. or something like that. Is that, that. a it New York more, thing, or, or is that like there are certain states where partners cannot visit um, you, right? 
they no one really seemed no. to care that much, but I think they a lot of people just assume that she was my friend. Yeah. Um and not my girlfriend. And even when I said girlfriend, they thought I meant platonic girlfriend. Right. And my first breast surgeon, not the one who screwed up, but the the second one. Um she was very surprised after I'd had two surgeries with her when she finally figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how much clearer could I have been? But, yeah. Uh, it just doesn't occur to people. Did it, talk about also because I know you've had a lot of issues around uh, side effects in the in the years I since, have. right? Mm-hmm. In terms of how it's affected your body, and also in in terms of payments. I mean, you wrote a piece, right, that ran in Bloomberg. It was on Bloomberg. Yeah. dot com. Yeah, I wrote a piece about um, the cost of Lupron injections and how I couldn't get a straight answer from the hospital before I actually got the treatment as to how much it would cost. Yeah. Um, with the you know known known quantities, I guess, of my insurance, what the insurance was, and what the hospital's agreement with them was. But right. They couldn't tell me. Guess what I found. Uh oh. I thought it was gonna be pictures or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is Mimi's song, Audrey. Great, let's do it. It's a pretty long song. Well, we can cut it off. It's, yeah, it's six minutes long. We can, we can cut it after like a minute or so. In the morning, my last morning, they lie me on the table. Start to dress, hold tight now. Goodbye to young and able. In the morning, my last morning, necessary sacrifice. Start to dress. Hold tight now, how much is the asking price? Laid out like a flounder, fillet my soul. And in the moment I go under, was I ever Clip of Audrey, yes, by Audrey Prower and the Reformationists. Yes, that's correct. Yes, that's correct. And and uh, the Audrey in the song is Audrey Lord. Speaking of lesbians. Okay. Well done. <laughs> I have no idea who that is. <laughs> I was going to say Matthew's a little deer in the headlights okay. on that one. I just nod and say yes and look cute. That's all my job is. So. Um, but so physically, though, because we talk about you know sometimes the consequences of, of living through your survivorship and what speak physically to kind of the things that you endured from those from those side effects in the years that have passed and how you've rebounded from those specific to my yes. gay experience. No, or? no. <laughs> <laughs> do to your, tell to your breast cancer experience. Well, I did not do chemotherapy or radiation, but I did have a double mastectomy and I did okay. five years of hormone 
treatment, so Lupron injections to shut down my ovaries and daily tamoxifen pills, mostly daily when I could stomach it. Right. Um, I had a lot of side effects having to do with um, just, you know, hormonal being thrust very uh, unceremoniously and suddenly into menopause. Yeah. And um, and having the tamoxifen wreak havoc on other areas of my body. Um, it was a pretty hard five years, and it was it was more of a long, slow slog than anything else. Right. Um, I went into menopause and then out of it when I stopped the shots, and then I was having too many side effects just being on the tamoxifen, so I went back in, back on the shots. So I've, I've really visited the future a couple times now. Right. It wasn't pretty. Yeah. Um, I'm... I, I I don't know. I mean, uh, everything hurt. My joints hurt all the time. Um, yeah. I gained a, a huge amount of weight, which um, I'm not mentioning for aesthetic reasons, but it was just really uncomfortable. Right. Um, I was tired. I had no attention span. I still don't. And um, it was just a and and having the surgery that I had was very traumatic. Yeah. And you know it still is. So. So what? Um Sorry, talk about having a brain freeze here. Um, I just lost my question, Matthew. Take well, my question is, you know, we live in a very heterogeneous culture now that is much less, you know, stigmatized around LGBT, at least here in New York City. You're probably better off being here than anywhere else at this point. But did you ever face any sort of, you know, outside of the health issues, something unique to being gay or no? Having to do with cancer and yes. gay? Um, I mean, you know, not really, um, but I'm also in a very privileged position. Um, I'm white and I have, um, a middle-class background and, uh, I speak English and I, as I said, I'm a pain in the ass. Right. So, you know, I, I don't think that my experience is, uh, representative necessarily of what LGBT people go through within the healthcare system, even in the city. Do you have friends who have anecdotal stories that might be the opposite of that that you've seen? Maybe not with cancer. I mean, what have you experienced or seen? I mean, of course, people, you know, the most common complaint is that on doctor's office forms, there's nowhere to uh, put that you are either partnered or um, married to someone of the same gender or even single but not straight. Right. Which is all important information for the doctor to have. Do you write it? I just add an extra box if sometimes, it's not there. Yeah, yeah, sometimes I add an extra box. Um, I mean, I haven't done it recently, so, yeah. you know, I don't know. Some doctors have started adding the boxes. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of doctor's office forms, even if they started adding those boxes, they don't have any boxes for any gender other than male or female. Right. Um, so, you know, that, I think... Among my friends, those are the most common things I've heard, which, you know, is really not the end of the world, but it's alienating. It is. Completely understood. It is. I actually remembered my question now, um, which doesn't have to do with the LGBT community specifically, but about your yoga. Because you teach yoga, and you do teach yoga specifically to women who've had cancer. So talk about that, how you feel that that helps heal the body, and specifically for those who've been through breast cancer. Well, um, I do teach yoga. I for specifically for women who have had cancer through a program called Y for C, mm-hmm. um, yogaforcancer.com. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the head teacher on it, but I'm a very frequent teacher. We have a, a program that 
where we teach at a few different studios around the city. And um, yoga, I mean, I love yoga. I've been practicing it for many years um, before cancer and then very differently after cancer. And I think that it's a really wonderful thing to do um, for the body and also the mind. Mm -hmm. Physically, one of the things that we focus on in class is uh, engaging the lymphatic system and all facets of that. So that's a little bit different than maybe a just a regular old yoga class. Right. Um, we also are trained in contraindications. So um, all the teachers are very sensitive to the fact that women may have lymphedema and um, or may have, you know, pain on one side or uh, may not be able to lie on their stomachs. I mean, you know, I, I say all of this and, and all of the women in my classes are actually very mobile. Right. Um, but it's important to know uh, going in to teach a class like that a lot more history and uh, medical information. Right. Like you're like a better doctor than the doctor. You actually well, ask the questions that they don't. Not a doctor. I cannot provide medical advice. But, but she might play one on TV yes, one exactly. day. Yes, oh, exactly. exactly. Fingers crossed and knock on everything <laughs> wood. Have you seen, like, I mean personally, obviously, but in the women that you, you do the yoga with, have you seen a, like a manifested improvement in quality of life? Does it truly impact their outcomes? I don't know about outcomes. Um, I do know that they really enjoy the classes and they keep coming back. Okay. So <laughs> that's good. Um, I, I mean, that's really as far as I can go with it. But I, I know they enjoy the classes and the community okay. of the classes. Good. We talk a lot about telling a partner or when's the best time to tell a partner that you've had breast cancer. A lot of people or some people might think perhaps telling another woman is an easier scenario than telling a guy. Which what's been your experience? Um, I've never well, I've never been in the position of telling a guy. Right. Um, but I don't know when the best time is. I don't. I. I mean, I certainly haven't figured it out yet. Um, would you say that you? Th- I mean, could you, despite never having told a guy, do you think collectively? I mean, would you agree that that would women be more sympathetic because they have breasts, or no, or does it scare people regardless? I think or it what's scares your people regardless. Feeling about that? No, yeah, I think it scares people. Yeah, I think it just depends on the person. You know, some people are going to be cool with it. Some right. people are going to fetishize it in a weird way. Some people hmm. are going to not know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of gender blind and. and as far as I, I that mean, goes. From my naive from, point of view, yes. Yeah. Now, give us the same answer as if you lived in Arkansas. Do you want if I can do in Arkansas? I think that music goes with Arkansas. <laughs> we just lost Arkansas as the sponsor. Uh, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle that. Oh, God. And we're the only ones that find it funny. Yeah. Anyway. So Any. Go ahead, Matthew. I was going to say we got to wrap up and do the news, but you're here the whole rest of the show, so you can chime in anytime you want about anything. Oh, thank you. Yes, of course. Uh, we don't. We're not just a one-stop shop here. But any. Uh, you, you may know, regret that, but. Um, well, Liz is here too. So, and at the end of the day, what are your? You know, what would you say to LGBT women with breast cancer today? You said you had a sort of a privileged opportunity to, to not face a lot of the issues that are faced. If you had a message to the LGBT young woman today, what would that be? To be a pain in the ass? Yeah, definitely to any woman. To be a pain in the ass. Be your own advocate because no one else is going to do it for you. Well, that's good enough for me. 
be a pain in the ass. And quickly before we wrap this, so tell us uh, where you are right now because well, you're she's right yoga. here. I'm she right is. here in she's the right studio. in front of us. Yeah, you're teaching yoga. I'm teaching yoga. Getting out there. I'm pursuing your career. Yeah, acting I'm, career. I'm writing this musical. I'm writing actively looking for a musical collaborator. Ooh. I'm a lot better at the uh, words than the music. Like if there were a pianist or someone who wanted to work on That's it. That's funny. Do you know any? Do you know any pianists, Matthew? The ones um. I know are all washed up. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Scribbling. <laughs> Way too many inside jokes. Okay, great. I would tell the story of how I wanted to write a musical after I was diagnosed with cancer and didn't. But I told Kenny the story and he didn't want to hear it again. So I fell asleep. He did fall asleep. It's a bad idea. I was like 22. So you don't have any good ideas when you're 22. Unless you're Mark Zuckerberg. I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Right, exactly. Well, Mimi, thank you so much for being our spotlight. Three times the charm, right? Sure. Thank you for having and me. You're sticking around. She's right. hanging around. All right, let's chime uh, in and be a pain in the ass. Let's head to the news here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay, here at Stupid Cancer, we promote and host hundreds of U.S. events each year, and we don't want you missing out on any of them. We're talking about financial webinars, fertility conferences, kayaking retreats, meetups, tweetups, road trips, concerts, and more. Hey, Kenny, where can people find out about all these awesome events? I don't have the paper, Matthew, but oh, thank you. Oh, give it to Kenny. Yeah, it's it a professional show. All right. All right. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events. I used to say this part, by the way. That's okay. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. And here are the events. Do you have any idea what's coming up, Kenny? I do. (laughs) Please hold. I need alcohol is what I need. (laughs) Saturday, November 3rd, in Denver, a Stupid Cancer happy hour. And uh, that's pretty much it for this a week's edition of the news. Okay. More drinking, that's it. Yes. All right. Lisa, All right. Oh. <laughs> Nor does she have it either. It's official. Mark your calendar, OMG 2013, the 6th Annual OMG Cancer Summit, April 25th through the 28th, 2013, at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas. That is April 25th through April 28th. Four days of awesome at one of the largest gatherings of its kind in the world. Visit omg2013.org today and learn more about the OMG Players Club, an exciting way to earn travel reimbursement by fundraising. omg2013.org. Okay, the Stupid Cancer Store has more than 14 awesome products for sale right now, from pins, pens, stickers, and lanyards to awesome survivor journals and the most amazing graphic tees you've seen in all of time combined. Says I. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. Stupidcancerstore.org. Dot... Well, you edit .org. .org. There's more coming. .org. <laughs> <laughs> don't make me go maybe .org. Maybe to Benny Hill again. <laughs> it's like I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> StupidCancer.org. <laughs> Stupid Cancer Forums. You know, Stupid used to define cancer. Right. Not show. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. anyway. It's okay. The Stupid Cancer Forums have over 2,500 members. <laughs> That's it. Where'd the... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you broke Lisa. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, forget it. 2,500 members. <laughs> this is your premier online community to connect with survivors. 
patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com. And Sign that, up with one <laughs> click through Facebook. Oh, boy. And that is your Stupid, stupid Cancer, Cancer News. <laughs> All right, we're... <laughs> I feel so bad for Philip. He's going to step into this mess. Okay, go ahead, Lise. Me? Philip? Philip. Philip Deitch has been active with Susan G. Cummins for the Cure, serving on their innovative National Diversity Council since it was first founded. His connection to breast cancer issues goes back 30 years. Can't be that old. 30 years to when his mother was first diagnosed with the disease. Other aspects of his personal and professional career have added to his knowledge and commitment, including other family and friends being diagnosed. His 20-year career as a hospital administrator, early in national HIV-AIDS advocacy, training and work as a diversity consultant, and being a committed and honored LGBT activist, Phil Deitch. Hi, everybody. And, hi, oh, Phil. We're going uh, <laughs> <laughs> to... Well, I'm sorry, I can't be in the studio He's with also a financial you. advisor at Ameriprise Financial. That's what I was going to add. That's there. okay. And we got Liz Margulis, LCSW, is a founder and executive director of the National LGBT Cancer Network, a national program that addresses the needs of LGBT people with cancer and those at risk. Liz is also a psychotherapist, which comes in handy here in the studio, and private practice and guest blogger for the Huffington Post. Please welcome Philip Deitch and Liz Margulis. Hello. Sorry, Philip. Sorry, Philip. Sorry about that. That's great. We're having too much fun tonight. It sounds like it. <laughs> right, we'll pull it together now. Yeah, we're going to be serious now. Uh, I, no more Benny Hill, I promise. Well, don't promise that. Don't promise that. <laughs> well, we're really excited to have you. Uh, maybe we call you Phil or you prefer Philip? Either one is fine. Okay, good. I'll call you Phil. Lisa can call you Philip. <laughs> That'll spare okay. it. Okay. <laughs> So, Lisa, how do you want to get started? We've got like 8,000 questions, but they're all really great questions. All right, well, let's start with Liz because she's staring us right in the face here. Speak to us. First of all, let's get a basic question out of the way here. Are women who date women, women partnered with women, at a higher risk for breast cancer? And if they are, why? Yes, we believe they are, but not because of any difference in biology or physiology, but because of behaviors, and many of those behaviors are traced back to the stress or stigma of living as a sexual minority, like smoking more. The lesbians as a group twice smoke at twice the national rate, higher use of alcohol, um, more likely to be overweight or have a high-fat diet, and less likely to have a biological child before age 30, which would offer some protection. So when you put them together... They say it is the densest cluster of risk factors. Wow. So is there, what kind of uh, work is being done, if any, in terms of more attention to this within the community, outside the communities, more screenings? How does that all play out in terms of, in terms of taking care of oneself and well, so early? Far, so far I only talked about risks. And what we would want to see in this population is greater vigilance in cancer screening. But, in fact, the opposite is true. Again, as a group, lesbians um, and the entire LGBT population have much lower cancer screening rates. But if you ask me, does this mean that there's a higher incidence of cancer in this community, I couldn't actually answer because none of the national cancer surveys collect information about gender identity or sexual orientation. But if I'm not sitting around a bunch of scientists, and I think I'm not, (laughs) I usually say two plus two equals four in every other part of my life, and I am sure here that higher cancer risks coupled with lower cancer screening rates must equal 
both a greater incidence of cancer in the LGBT community and cancers found at a later stage. Arithmetic. That's mine. You're saying there's actual, there's no hard data. Sorry, Phil, get to you one second. But anecdotally, or just because you say common sense. Well, there's there's data about the risk factors, mm-hmm. and there's data about the screening rate. So put it all together. The only thing we do have so far is the state of California, always ahead of the pack, yeah. in their national um, state health survey does ask questions about um, sexual orientation and gender identity, and they found in California a 50% higher rate of cancer. Wow. Phil, were you going to chime in something there? Yeah, I was going to – everything that uh, Liz has said is is what we know at this point, and we do need more statistics. We need the research. We need those questions to be asked. So one of the things that – a couple of two things that we've done with the council to try to – help to bring about that information. As part of Komen's annual lobby days on Capitol Hill back in uh, 2008, before what we now call Obamacare, we met with members of the Congressional LGBT Caucus, and we met with then-Senator Kennedy's Health Committee staff director and leadership to draft legislation that would add questions about sexual orientation and gender identity to federal government-funded health care disparity studies. We then went out and we worked with a coalition of African-American civil rights leaders to build broader support to pass that legislation. And then in November of 2009, I'm happy to say that Komen uh, was the first non-LGBT organization uh, to support the Office of LGBT Health in the Department of Health and Human Services. We still have – those things still need to be implemented, but at least we – we're raising the awareness that that information just isn't there. And if that statistical information is not there, we can't do the types of treatments and care that we know are needed. Right. So speak to us then um, about care and about experiences of, of women getting treatment in terms of biases. I mean, Mimi, we were talking to her earlier about this, didn't have any sort of overt uh, situations that came up in terms of biases and treatment. But What are some general situations that you've heard that may occur? Well, my organization, the National LGBT Cancer Network, just completed a national survey of LGBT cancer survivors, and some of them shared Mimi's perfectly good experience, Mm -hmm. luckily, but many did not. Yeah. And another thing that sets Mimi apart for many LGBT cancer survivors is that she has her family with her, and many people talked about that their friendship circle and or their partner really were their family because right. people, more than one person told us that their family said, I hope the cancer kills you. Wow. So, wow. Hang on. i got to digest that one. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So our support systems don't always look like um, the general public's. Many of our relationships are not recognized legally, whether it's people who haven't um, been able to adopt their partner's child or live in states where they can't marry their partner. So we need the health care providers and the forms to ask who our real support systems are. Which is, I mean, it's such a huge divide. I mean, judging by Matthew's reaction to that, I mean, think about that. Think yeah. about the absolute yeah. black and white situation that is for somebody who's, you know, who has incredible mind. support around them to somebody whose parents say, I hope yeah. the cancer kills you. Yes. 
And, of course, that was the experience, uh, particularly in the early days with the gay men's community around HIV-AIDS. Right. Uh, and it was the lesbian community who came out and supported the men, and a large part of what drives me in, in the work that I'm doing in this area now. Which is the, great. Uh, yeah. It, of course, you know, lesbian women may be less likely to get routine m- mammograms and uh, clinical breast exams, and we're not sure yet why. It could be lack of insurance. It could be perceived low uh, breast cancer risk, not seeing a health care provider regularly. Of course, for many women, it's reproductive health issues, such as pregnancy, are the main link to the health care system. Right. I think we know some of the reasons why um, lesbians um, avoid the health care system. There was a huge Harris Interactive poll in 2005 that was huge, and most of the people were white, middle class, and highly educated, meaning, again, a very privileged group. And 75% of them said that they avoided or delayed medical care. The top two reasons were about cost. Our health insurance rates are dramatically lower with Mm -hmm. transgender people, just as an aside, having the lowest health insurance coverage rates of all. And the second two reasons were feared discrimination and previous negative experiences in the healthcare system. Well, that's interesting because when we did our show on African-American and Latina women, distrust of the medical community is huge among those groups in terms of not wanting to go to the doctor. Yes. So, so I'm, just, I'm, I'm all new to this. I don't know. If, I find it you white really, hetero male. Yeah, I'm just a white Jewish Get out guy of the room. married with t- with two kids. I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by this, and I've been struggling to make sense of the last three shows because it's just extraordinary that, you know, common sense would say we're 2012 and we should be living in a society that isn't like this, and this still happens. You know, are there <clears throat> ignorantly asking this question? You know, I mean, you said stress is a major factor as to you know the. Having not having a child seems to be almost a penalty for women at this point. Is that correct? Yeah. Can both yeah. of you talk Before about that? Before age thirty, I had a in child. In many ways, yeah. I had a child, but I was thirty-nine and three quarters, and that offered no protection to me. You have to have the child before thirty. Philip, do you at, at the Cohen Multicultural Advisory Council do anything um, to uh, encourage? This is going to sound really weird, like to encourage surrogacy, to encourage having a child, even if you're in a committed lesbian relationship, as no, preventative? I, I, I don't think that that has been uh, discussed as, as a... Uh, it as sounds a, so radical, though. Yeah. Actually... No, but I think what we do encourage is people getting proper health care for themselves, uh, not waiting till there's a problem. I mean, my mother, uh, blessed memory, when she took a year before she was diagnosed with the basic fear after finding a lump that she didn't want to find out the results. You know, that is, that's an overlay, but when you're in situations where your job may not be secure, if you're coming out to your physician, uh, what are you having to put on health records to report that you have a partner, significant other, how that could affect your protection going down the road, these are serious issues and, and reasons why we need to have uh, overall protection for people who are LGBT in the civil rights community. Well, one of the interesting things we found in our survey, we asked people who they were out to and how they made the decision to be out. And we realized it's not just a a one-time decision. Like what people said over and over was that even if they were out to their oncologist or surgeon or primary care physician, every procedure that they had, um, x-ray, 
blood, chemo, every single time they came in contact with a medical profession, they had the anxiety about the procedure, and on top of that, worry about whether they would be accepted or not and whether this was a time they should come out again or hide who they were. So what we ultimately um, realized from looking at the results was that for LGBT people, cancer is the same, only scarier. There were people who said they were out their whole lives, but one person said, with a life-threatening illness, I dared not take the chance that... um, a discriminating surgeon would leave some lesions in my body. Sure. And, and, and you know, it, and let me just add another one piece. One thing we have done uh, with the transgender community in particular, we granted uh, funds to the Mazzoni Center in Philadelphia, an LGBT health center, to do focus groups specifically with transgender clients and patients to create a model that would streamline breast health services to that population and putting additional monies into related research. Did you mean um, trans men or trans women, Philip? Both. Different, different issues, different concerns. Right. It's very hard. I mean, aside from some of the other reasons that I talked about where pe- why people were avoiding the healthcare system and cancer screenings, if we add to that transgender men, mm-hmm. um, just to clarify, people who were assigned female at birth and mm-hmm. then transitioned in whatever way they did um, to living as male, many of them have not had top surgery and they still have what we would call breast tissue, but they call their chest. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to get people to take care of body parts that they don't identify with. Right. The same thing just as an aside for um transgender women, most of whom have an intact prostate gland, but they're not going to go take care of it. Right. What would you suggest um, for people in same-sex relations? I mean, I have documents with my wife, which I give her complete 100% credit for having us get. I was totally clueless about this. Um, so clueless that I'm not going to, I'm going to have you answer the question. But what would you recommend documents? I mean, I we live in New York, but she's from the South. We travel in the South. Love the South in many ways. But sometimes, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in what state or so what should people have prepared if you're in a same-sex relationship, if you find yourself, cancer or any other situation, it applies if you have to be in a hospital to make sure that your loved one, your partner has access, can make decisions for you um, should something happen to you health-wise? Well, actually, there's... Oh, okay. Go ahead, Liz. Um, there are a variety of documents mm-hmm. that you can get, and I just want to say that there's... Um, an online place that will do them for free to help LGBT people called Rainbow Law. And I I assume it's rainbowlaw.org, maybe it's com, but it's Rainbow Law. And they say, put your ducks in a row, and they will do this for free from healthcare proxies, et cetera. It is now true. Um, Obama passed a memorandum, maybe you remember, Philip, 2010, um, 11, saying that... um, Everybody can designate who they want to have visit them. So you can always, assuming you're out and brave, have your partner or the people that you choose, whether it's your sister or your best friend, with you in any hospital in America. Any hospital that's receiving federal funds, technically. Yes, uh, but that's pretty much every hospital. And that's every hospital, basically. Uh, It's rainbowlaw.com. There are three powers that are really critical for LGBT people to have. 
uh, whether uh, they're in currently relationship or not, but especially in relationship and even more so if there are children involved. There should be a legal power of attorney. There should be a medical power of attorney, which often will include uh, uh, what is known as a living will. And then there's also uh, the power that would deal with being able to control a burial. Three separate powers. All of those should be in place. And it, it's something that uh, you should do early in, in uh, your relationship. Uh, once you decide who it is that you want to be able to make those decisions on your behalf if you're not in a position to do so. And because, again, so many LGBT people are estranged from their families, have been rejected from their families. You want to have it in place. Remember, too, that many LGBT people are single, so it's not just people in same-sex relationships. So designate your best friend or anybody who you trust, because otherwise it will revert to your family who might not have your, might not know your wishes and or have your best interests at heart. Can I ask another Ignorant question. Please. Are there networks of doctors who are gay and lesbian who the gay and lesbian community goes to specifically to avoid stigma? You know, it's a big country. And while the U.S. Census does not ask about gender identity or sexual orientation, we do know that um, same-sex couples, again, we're back to coupled people, are present in 99% of the counties in this country. So in some places, it's easy to go someplace where you can find somebody where you can be your whole self. Right. The um, reason I asked, because and this may be overshare, but my wife's gynecologist was a le- I mean, she doesn't hear her anymore, but was a lesbian, and there was an a, a extremely large community of lesbians that came there, because, I, presumably because they felt much more comfortable with Word it. spread. Absolutely. Yep, my yep. organization just um, published on our website, www.cancer.org, cancer-network.org, um, a, a directory of LGBT-friendly, free, and low-cost cancer screening facilities all across the country. And our goal is to have one within driving distance of everybody. And we're currently putting together a new directory of um, cancer treatment providers and facilities that are LGBT-friendly and welcoming. But that probably will not be live till June or so. And yeah, just let me just... Yeah, I mentioned two two examples of, of what is out there in New York. You have, uh, among many places, the Kalen Lord Community Health Center. Uh, in Philadelphia, you have the Mazzoni Center. You can contact the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association. You can contact the National Coalition for LGBT Health. I mean, those two groups, those groups come to mind because we have an LGBT advisory council within uh, Komen and my other two partners on that effort. One is Dr. Addicts, who is the associate medical director of Callan Lord, and the other is Nurit Shine, who has been the executive director of the Mazzoni Center. So there are resources in some cities around the country that specifically help in the LGBT community. Sadly, too few. Very too few. And, and the efforts that we're making, that Liz is making, and that others are making, is also to get out and educate the general health-providing community on how to be sensitive, what questions to ask, and to be focused really on the serious issues that are out there. Uh, backtrack, it's rainbowlaw.com. I'm, I'm having Internet issues here, so maybe Kenny can talk Rainbowlaw.com. Rainbowlaw.com, if Kenny can put that in the chat room for folks. Yeah, but also if you go to a local, and, and, uh, you can, it, and again, I work as a financial planner, and so if you have any situations that are more uh, involved, 
uh, I would encourage that you also meet, that you take time to meet with a, a local financial planner, a, a, an attorney. I, again, people who are connected to, or if not are themselves LGBT, because they become aware of unique special issues, what's going on in your state, issues around passing property, uh, issues around insurance, titling items. So there could be some unique issues that, depending upon the size of your uh, what you own, if you have children or not, there could be additional issues to look at. So, Philo, I'd like you to just spend some time telling us about your experience on the Komen Multicultural Advisory Council. It's been such a wellspring of of, uh, of of sort of like wisdom and leadership to help us build these three shows in October here. You know, you joined it a while ago. What, what have you seen as far as its evolution? In 2007, Komen uh, decided that it was – the, the national effort to create a, an aggressive, responsive healthcare system was not happening the way it should. So Coleman decided it was going to change itself and do what it can to impact uh, through the resources that it had available. So in 2007, it created this really groundbreaking 100-person multicultural council composed of grassroots advocates, uh, women living with breast cancer, and professional healthcare providers who were working in or who and were members of six specific subpopulations that included women who were African American, uh, Latina, Asian Pacific Islander, Native American, young women in their 20s, and lesbian, transgender, and me, uh, uh, among the hundred. And it, the work also has reached internal to Komen, doing diversity training at affiliates around the country. Uh, We've recently streamlined the council to be 18 members, three from each of those represented uh, communities. And if you went on the uh, Komen.org list, you could type in transgender or lesbian in the search box, and you could see who has served on that council over these past years. But it has tried to, and I, and I think uh, has had impact in, in a lot of ways that help our community, and I'll try to summarize a couple of those real fast. Uh, appearing at uh, LGBT venues, uh, doing a seminar at National Gay and Lesbian Task Forces, creating Change Conference. Uh, we held the first direct discussions about the impact of breast cancer on the lesbian and transgender communities between staff and leadership from Komen, NGLTF, the NGLTF Foundation, the Maltner Project, who we fund, and the National Coalition for Lesbian and Gay Health. Uh, there are fact sheets on lesbian and transgender issues on the Komen site. Uh, our, our founder, uh, Ambassador Brinker, actively lobbied Governor Schwarzenegger to sign the Harvey Milk Day legislation in California uh, because it is important that we have uh, opportunities like that to raise issues of concern to the LGBT community. Uh, so th those are just some examples of uh, – and, and research, trying to re – channel research in general um, to areas that have been missed, to get away from just traditional white male health issues and to focus on minority communities, communities that maybe are not getting early enough prevention care, and see how we can reach out in new ways and different ways. And Liz, why don't you tease out more about what the National LGBT Cancer Network does, which again is cancer-network.org and what you guys are currently working on. Um, our mission has three parts, and 
considering everything that's been said, I'm sure it will make um, a lot of sense. First, we want to educate the LGBT community about our increased cancer risks and the importance of screening and early detection. And we do a lot of work um, training healthcare providers to offer more culturally competent care to their LGBT patients. So recently we developed an LGBT cultural competence curriculum that is now mandatory for every employee in all of the municipal hospitals in New York City, all 38,000. And that means, for example, that not just the doctors and the nurses and the social workers, but the guard and all the people that you meet before you, if you go to the emergency room, before you even see a highly trained doctor. Mm -hmm. And the third thing we do is advocate for LGBT inclusion in national cancer organizations, research, and the media, like here. Right. Um, so outside of, like, you nodded your head before during the monologue when I was just, are, are there states where there are, like, ridiculously discriminating laws in place to specifically, uh, you know, present barriers to the LGBT community to get quality care or access to health care? Well, we do not have civil rights. And in 29 states in this country, you can still be fired for being lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. And there are more states than that where you can um, be denied service in a restaurant, a hotel, a job for um, being transgender. And every LGBT person in this country walks around knowing that, that, we, that discrimination is legal. And in states that um, don't have bans against LGBT discrimination. We see higher rates of mental illness in, in, illness in those states. And um, Just because it drives you crazy. Yes, discrimination is very right, bad for your health. I mean, yeah. There's also research that says that LGBT people who experienced major, they called it prejudice-related events, meaning like a hate crime, right. were far more likely to have a serious health problem in the next 12 months, regardless of their age, health history, um, race, gender, anything. Have there but, been any landmark court cases concerning health care in the LGBT community? Well, this has been, as I like to say, a good year to be queer. I mean, <laughs> Obama had a slow start, but things have gone amazingly well. There's been an um, Institute of Medicine report on LGBT health that's come out, the Visitation Memorandum, um, the Joint Commission, the group that um, accredits all the hospitals and healthcare facilities, has just released what they call the roadmap for um, LGBT culturally competent care, so that any facility that wants to be more welcoming now can learn how to do it. Right. But of course, you know, I was a hospital administrator in the day that it was, you know, much more risky to come out. And you need people in leadership positions in these organizations who are themselves LGBT and out to be role models and to really be able to look at the implementation of policies. One of the things that we saw in the survey also was that in some parts of the country, people said, I would have to... My doctor was terrible, but I would have to drive much too far to see anybody else. Yeah. So I was stuck with him. Or someone who said, I was out in the rest of my life, but the best uh, treatment place around here was a Catholic hospital. Right. So I was afraid to be seen as a sinner, and I stayed in the closet for, my, for the sake of my life. 
because it felt like life and death. So we're talking about largely Caucasian issues. We did the last two shows on disparity issues. Is there, and we're going to wrap in a few minutes, but is there any data? There's probably a huge conversation. I'm asking the question. Is there data to support disparity and minority in the LGB community with regard yeah. to health care? Is it even oh. worse? Oh, Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. It, it, and in the same way, and that's why we have restructured our uh, advisory council to be integrated because everything that we seem to see with the statistics, without having the hard uh, facts though, but everything we see is then if you are a person of color and you're a lesbian or transgender, there are those additional overlays of discrimination uh, that you face and stress and, and the other concerns that occur. I hope that you didn't hear me as only speaking about white LGBT people. No, because I'm just we ignorant. Are a very, it's a very broad group, and right. not every LGBT person is like a white, rich boy, white, and um, able-bodied, a legal citizen here. There are We are everywhere and in every group. There was a recent um, uh, study of gay men, men who have sex with men, meaning they didn't always identify with the term gay. Right. And if they were out to their health care provider. And in New York City, again, this is a special spot. And here, 40% of men who had sex with men never told their health care provider that they were, that they had sex with men, meaning that they were not going to be screened for anal cancer, for example. Right. Is just a very rampant in the um gay male community, especially among HIV-positive men. Right. So if someone's not out to their doctor, they couldn't know. And for people of color, the rates were closer to 70%. Wow. Okay. So it's amazing. I mean, the, the layers, I mean, just think about... Layers you know, on layers. The layers yeah. on layers of issues, starting with somebody where it goes from you, Matthew, as white male. <laughs> right. I, I mean, not to, you know... No, I am self-admittedly a white male. <laughs> But it's um, no, it's awful to think about you know what you have to if if you're fearing for your life, what you think you have to suppress right. of who you are. Which is why we need to eliminate some of these barriers about pre maintain what is now going to eliminate the barriers around pre-existing conditions and upper mm-hmm. limits, so that people can move jobs the way people who are straight, white and well-to-do can move jobs knowing that they can get health insurance someplace else and their company will cover them no matter what their situation. Everyone doesn't have that luxury. No. We need to provide ways that we can provide fair and equitable access to good health care for everyone. Well, this has been a very enlightening show, very important show, and I think it's a great culmination to these three uh, special Podcasts with uh, Susan G. Cohen, Multicultural Advisory Council. Uh, Anything so, we didn't touch on that yeah, you guys want to add? I was going to say any go? last words. Mimi as well. Anybody who wants to chime in here? What I always like to say at the end is to, if you love somebody, get her screened. Mm-hmm. Go in packs. If it's unsafe to go alone, I don't know why we always go to the doctor alone. Yeah. Go with a group of friends. Go get mammograms together. That's a great, I think that's a great idea. It's so collect, sometimes yeah. easier to take care of someone you love than to take care of yourself. So mm-hmm. A gaggle scan. Exactly. Someone and we, trademarked we that. We need to support each other. I mean, I go back to uh, when my mother was first diagnosed with her cancer, and, 
and she had her mastectomy in 1974, the day Betty Ford, she had her biopsy the, the day Betty Ford had her mastectomy in 1974. Her best friend, her neighbor, who used to come over every morning and share coffee with her, wouldn't ever walk into the house again because she was afraid she'd catch breast cancer. And, and I saw that with over 300 friends who've then died of AIDS over the years. We need to stand together as a community, and, and we're trying to do that very much between all of our organizations. Speaking of standing together as a community, Philip, I want to ask you this, because I hear this just sort of anecdotally gripe-wise, and I think I sort of view this collectively when I look out on the horizon. Um, you talk about the AIDS movement, and certainly there were a lot of women who uh, joined in on a grassroots level in terms of the HIV-AIDS mo- movement. Yet you hear a lot of women complain about perhaps not quite getting the support um, in reverse from the men, and and perhaps even more from straight men who have wives or have daughters, um, more so collectively. I've heard a lot of women say, where is the gay men's community in terms of helping women with breast cancer? Is that fair or unfair? I, I certainly hear it a lot anecdotally, and I certainly, if I look out to see large gestures the way that I think large groups of women, um, again, were involved in the grassroots for the AIDS cause, I'm not sure... I see it the same in reverse. What would you say to that? I think that there's a lot more that men could be doing. Absolutely. And, of course, there are men yeah. that get breast cancer. It's a small number. We're talking, you know, 2 to right. 3% of the population get diagnosed. But uh, I, I, I do what I can. Part of why I'm on this council, I think, is to try to help uh, inspire uh, but motivate men to get out and do uh, what our sisters did uh, for this community in the time of its crisis. This is a horrible crisis that we're going through with breast cancer, and, and, and the men need to be out there, straight, gay, uh, standing up, being active, lobbying. In my area, our, our state chair for years have been men uh, doing lobbying. Uh, we have large numbers of men uh, marching uh, in the race, and not enough not enough. It's still men control legislatures, men control government, men control uh, health industries, uh, and there needs to, uh, there could always be more responsibility taken. I have no problem with that happening whatsoever. All right. Well, we do have to wrap. 8.05. Good show. Yeah. It's important. Thank you for all your help, Philip. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you as a guest on the show. Thank you so much, Philip. Thanks to Liz. Sure. Thanks to Mimi. Okay, Philip Deitch, um, Liz Margulies, and Mimi Ferraro. Good luck to you, Philip. Take care. Thank you. Have a good night. All right. So this is uh, this concludes our broadcast day, but we have one final announcement to make. That after almost two years, uh, nearly almost, three. <laughs> you know, I think it was. Was it no? It was uh, January. I pulled it up actually. It was January. Um, 2010, right? January 2010. 2011. Right, almost three years. Two and three quarters. As a matter of fact, this is your first show. Lost Hope Radio. Well, like this is your life. Let me queue up here. Every day. No longer be joining us here on the Stupid Cancer Show. We wish him uh, good luck with all of his future endeavors. Yes, we do. So take care, Jack. And um, all right, what else we got here? Oh, I know what we want to talk about. We want to talk about Fox News. No, no, my, my, hopefully, I love the story. Anyway, so this is your first show. I pulled it up. We had Doug Allman on the show. 
dusty showers. Oh gosh! Should we just call a spade a spade? You know what? I, I have to. I have to worry. And, you have more and, important and, things to do. Yeah. I don't hear myself. Am I really on the show? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you were shy. Yeah, was, yes. Changes or things. You know, I'll have. I'll have pain. Anyway, wow. Anyway, January 2010. January 2010. January 2010. But I did pull up a special thing we've done for you twice so far. It didn't happen again this year yet, or it did and I forgot. But there's, there was this sort of a signature thing that happens here on the show with you that always rem- will always remind me. Every time I hear this, it won't be because of what it's from. It'll be because of this show. And don't cry, but this is what it is. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four. It's not until May, but I'll take it. I do love this. Yeah. I play this every May for my birthday. Yeah. From The Simpsons. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson on The Simpsons. But this song will live on. Maybe we'll have you on for your birthday. Just to play this. Just as a present. You can come hang out with us. Yes. I do love this. Well, there you go. Very sweet. Thank you, man. I can't thank you enough for your loyalty, your intelligence, your journalistic expertise, your yeah. friendship. Well, the second part, you know, <laughs> journalistic expertise and all that you've done to uh, help this show grow from a mere 30,000 listens on Blog Talk. When we switched to Blog Talk, because that was the first show on Blog Talk, to 1.4 million listens. And that doesn't include... But it was 1.8. <laughs> well, on Blog Talk, it's 1.4, but we count another... Oh, right. We count the, the that's only the that's last right. two it's and like a half years. It's like Ferris Bueller's Day Off when you roll that's the car right. back. No, there's there were two whole years before we started on Blog Talk, yep. so this doubles. So it's yep. like two point one million at this point. So, yep. really amazing, and we're really sorry to see you go. I'm actually I'm feeling a little verklempt. I am. No, this is this is really this has been a very meaningful chapter in my life, and uh, we've had a lot of fun. We've laughed. We've cried. I I and I've always said. Huber. <laughs> No, I've always said this, um, the words of, of the people who've been on this show, the guests on this show, stick with me. Uh, many days, of my, I mean, I, they echo through my head. It's, this show has been deeply impactful on me, um, deeply meaningful to me. I'm always amazed and blown away by the stories that the guests bring on this show, how they open themselves up, how they have, they're just so fierce and so smart and have so much to contribute to this world. And uh, inspired me in so many ways and kept me going in so many ways to come in here Monday night and hear uh, the folks on this show and the listeners and the feedback that we've gotten. Um, it's really and been. And the awards that we've won. Well, that's just together. a nice kind of side benefit. Yeah, but the. But people, it's the recognition. But, I mean, yeah, it's a, but think about how many potentially millions of people have heard our voices or heard your voice on the show through these 240 shows. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing there's nothing better from from to me for getting the feedback from people, and again from from the the courage that people have shown that have come on and really opened up um, to help others like themselves out there is phenomenal to me. And like I said, it's just it's it's been just among just one of those meaningful things. It's not the most meaningful thing that I've done with my life. I feel so. Um, it's definitely a bitter a bittersweet night for yeah. me for this to be my final broadcast, but. I'll stick around. I'll certainly... Uh, and I'm going to guarantee at least one more laugh tonight. <laughs> you know, not, it wasn't that is. one either. Yeah. Can you guess what it is? Yes. Children of the 70s. <laughs> Wait. 
All right. Well, with that said, it's time for a closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray! I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, everybody, that is tonight's show, number 241. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. All right, thank you, Kenny. The exhausted Kenny Kane. Mimi Ferraro, Philip Deitch, and Liz Margolis. Thank you so much for being on the show. Next week, I will not be here live, but I will be here taped because Matthew and I did an interview with the actress and breast cancer survivor, Maura Tierney, formerly of ER, and she's currently in an uh, arc on The Good Wife. Check that out. And the folks from Breast Cancer Action. So Maura Tierney in a great uh, interview that Matthew and I recorded. Angela Wall, Ph.D. and Communications Manager of Breast Cancer Action. Andy Sartor, am I saying that correctly, Matthew? I think so. Policy and Campaigns Coordinator at Breast Cancer Action, along with Caitlin Carmody. She's a Membership Coordinator of Breast Cancer Action. And in the spotlight, Annie Goodman, young adult breast cancer survivor. Also from Fox News, she's the one that knows you. Oh, right. That's right. Annie Goodman she from you Fox, Fox News. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She knows you. Fantastic. Okay, if you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes and iTunes.stupidcancer.org or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt and myself and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week, and I will see you back here next Monday all sad as your solo host. Thank Bye you very everybody. much. Bye-bye. Thank you.